Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and healthcare with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. Governor Kathy Hochul's proposal to increase the number of charter schools in New York is getting some pushback from members of the public education community, including teachers' unions and the state education department. As the Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports, Hochul says the changes are minor and should not be making anyone upset. Hochul wants to lift the regional cap on the number of charter schools in New York City and allow the licenses of charter schools that have closed in the past few years to be reissued to new ones. The change would allow for about 85 more charter schools across the state. The leaders of the state's major teachers' union say that's a bad idea. United Federation of Teachers President Michael Mulgrew says Hochul is making the same mistakes many of her predecessors did. We cannot believe we're here having these conversations again when it is clear that parents in the community really do not want an expansion of charters at this point in time because they understand that the resources are being drained from the public schools. Most charters do not employ unionized workers. Mulgrew says charter schools, which under state law are required to be funded by public school districts, often cherry-pick students from a community. He says the schools seldom provide services for children whose families may be homeless or do not speak English as their first language, and they can expel rule-breaking students who must then re-enter the public schools. Even the state's education commissioner, Betty Rosa, is skeptical. At a recent joint legislative budget hearing, Rosa questioned why so many charter schools are created in black and brown neighborhoods, but seldom in predominantly white areas. If it's such a wonderful uh, experiment, then let me see it in places that embrace it other than communities of color. In New York, education commissioners do not work directly for governors. They're independently chosen by the Board of Regents. The regents are selected by the legislature. Charter school operators have been largely silent about the proposed changes, but some have come to the Capitol in recent days to support it. Marian Raka is CEO of the Black Latinx Asian Charter Collaborative. Charter schools are one of the most innovative and impactful tools that the legislature has created to deal with the educational inequities that face our communities. The legislature now has an opportunity to evolve that strategy by correcting a missed opportunity to put that tool in the hands of the community it was most intended to impact and help. Raka and other supporters and board members of the collaborative say the expansion is an opportunity for people of color to be in charge of more charter schools. Raka says only 6% of the state's charter schools are currently operated by non-whites and few of the teachers are black or brown. Her group would like to change that. They plan to meet with the legislature's black, Puerto Rican, Hispanic, and Asian caucus to try to get them on board with Hochul's plan. Hochul, meanwhile, is downplaying the backlash to her proposal, saying the changes aren't that controversial. I've simply said that we should look at the fact that there's a statewide cap. The legislature already approved 460 charter schools, but I never understood the logic of having a differential between New York City and the rest of the state. So, so I'm simply saying that we should just remove that 
arbitrary line and allow the growth to continue. And the governor says increasing the number of charter schools won't take away from public school funding. She's proposed record high spending for K-12 education in her state budget proposal. So the argument that this takes away from public schools, uh, I won't allow that. The governor says she herself is a product of the public schools and she supports them. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartok spoke with New York Times Metro reporter Jesse McKinley this week about New York Governor Kathy Hochul's budget, her relationship with the legislature, and in general, how the governor's doing so far. Well, I think to answer your first question, it depends on who you talk to as to how Governor Hochul is doing. I think most of the uh, polls that I've seen since the beginning of the year have actually shown her to be pretty buoyant. Uh, you know, her favorability is about, you know, in the 40s, her, her likability or, or job approval, so to speak, is, is about that, if not a little bit higher. So just in terms of the electorate, I think she's doing pretty well. Uh, in terms of her relationship with the legislature, however, that has been fraught, and I think that you can kind of pin a lot of this on the uh, LaSalle uh, nomination for the top court, for the Court of Appeals. Uh, Hector LaSalle was proffered as the potential chief judge for the uh, Court of Appeals. In late December, uh, the legislature, led by mainly progressives, but some moderates as well, uh, Democrats, uh, said no, and said no resoundingly, not only in a committee vote, but in kind of a long, longer, drawn-out uh, battle over his nomination, which ended up with a full Senate vote uh, in which LaSalle was rejected. So in terms of her personal relationship right now with the legislature, I, I think it's, it's tense and probably uh, just a touch icy. Uh, but as you mentioned, we are entering into budget season in which the rubber kind of meets the road. You know, this is a gigantic budget, 230 some odd billion dollars, one of the biggest in the United States, I think second only to California. And there's a lot of money to go around, but there's also a lot of priorities. And the question will be in the weeks before the April 1st deadline is whether or not the governor, who has outsized power in these negotiations, uh, is able to get her way, or if the legislature once again decides to flex the muscles uh, and try to try to push her in a different direction. So, what is the problem? I mean, what's between the two groups, you know, the governor and the legislature, that is creating chaos? Well, it's a funny situation. You know, I, I think in other states, um, generally, you know, uh, standoffs between the legislature and a chief executive involve party designations. You know, you either have a Republican legislature that doesn't want to give anything to a Democratic governor or vice versa. 
New York, of course, is different. Both the Assembly and the Senate have supermajorities of Democrats. Kathy Hochul is a Democrat. <laughs> they all go to the same parties. They all wear blue, so to speak, mm-hmm. and they conceivably would all be on the same page. But what you're saying here is kind of a tension between the moderate part of the party, as represented by Governor Hochul, and an ascendant and emboldened progressive wing of the party, which is rising not only in the Senate, where they would probably count, I don't know, 12, 15 members in in that kind of loose caucus, um, as well as in the Assembly, which is a much larger legislative body, obviously 150 members, but also has a growing number of younger, by and large, more progressive members who have a more liberal worldview. And I think that's the tension you're seeing of kind of progressive slash more liberal legislators wanting their priorities, which include things like criminal justice reform, which include things like affordable housing, equity for for all peoples, all of which Governor Hochul would also voice support for, but in a lot of ways they have different goals. And I think the most kind of stark example of this is public safety, where the bail reform law of a couple of years ago has been hailed by a lot of young progressives as, as a way to make leasing more equitable and make crime and punishment more equitable. And but for, you know, mainstream Democrats like Kathy Hochul and on up the food chain to national Democrats has become a problematic political issue. You know, bail reform did not play well with voters in suburban and rural counties in New York state, as evidenced by the 2022 election cycle. The issue of crime was a big issue that a lot of Republicans ran hard on. And as evidenced, at least by the congressional races where they flipped four seats, seemingly ran successfully on this idea that Democrats had been too lenient on criminals and that as a result, the streets were less safe. So, Jesse, what is your sense of what has happened with Hector LaSalle? We have talked a little bit about that here. What was going on there? I mean, this really began to stink of some real animus. Was there something I was missing? I think, in fact, this does predate Hector LaSalle. I think this goes back to the 2022 cycle when uh, Democrats hoping to kind of hold on to not only a number of congressional seats, but potentially pick up congressional seats in the 2022 cycle, drew congressional lines that would have, by some estimations, allowed them to win three or four additional seats, which, as we now know, is the uh, is the margin in the House of Representatives. The whole House so, of Representatives. Exactly. So this seemed to be this very clever plan by New York Democrats to, for lack of a better word, gerrymander some of these districts so that they would win more seats. Now, those lines were thrown out by a judge uh, as a result of a Republican-led lawsuit. And then that case ended up at the Court of Appeals, the top court in New York State, and they they upheld the lower court's decision and forced those lines to be redrawn. And flash forward to last November, Republicans actually won four seats statewide. And once again, what's the margin in the House of Representatives? Mm-hmm. Four seats. So, so you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But it, for a lot of people, it looked like the by extension the court decision in New York resulted in Republicans winning uh, the House of Representatives. Now, of course, there's a lot of steps that went into that. There were a lot of races. You know, uh, some races were were won by very small margins. Democrats had big hopes to win these seats back in a couple of years. 
But there was a lot of blame to go around as to why the Democrats lost the House of Representatives, and a large part of it seemed to fall on the New York State Court of Appeals. So when Hector LaSalle was nominated to lead this, there was intense scrutiny on his record because I think that redistricting decision really upset a lot of Democrats. And, of course, Democrats are in charge of the state Senate and thus in charge of saying yay or nay to Hector LaSalle. So I think he got caught in that kind of those crosswinds. That's Jesse McKinley of The New York Times speaking with Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Chartalk. listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Student advocates gathered at the New York state Capitol in Albany this week to rally behind a new deal for public higher education in the state. The Legislative Gazette's Lucas Willard was there and filed this report. With an April 1st budget deadline looming, advocates rallied on the million dollar staircase Thursday calling for a tuition freeze at the state's public colleges and universities. Governor Kathy Hochul's 2024 budget proposes big investments for SUNY and CUNY campuses, including $1.5 billion for new capital projects, $270 million in new annual funding for campuses, and a half billion dollar investment in a matching fund for contributions at SUNY's four university centers. But the plan also includes a system-wide tuition increase of 3%, 6% at Albany, Binghamton, Buffalo, and Stony Brook. The administration says the increases are needed to ensure SUNY and CUNY schools are able to invest in their futures in a time of rising costs. Student advocates say the tuition increases are the wrong idea and are pushing for free tuition for all. University at Albany student and SUNY Student Assembly Senior Director of Government Relations Joshua Chan said the so-called New Deal for Public Higher Ed is especially important for immigrant families. Our immigrant families came here to give us a better life. Through the public education system here at SUNY and CUNY, that's possible. This budget must include free SUNY, free CUNY, higher TAP increases, and a higher Excelsior increase as well. Because that... Those are the mechanisms that provide freedom and liberty for our students all across New York State. New York's Excelsior Scholarship Program covers tuition for qualifying students at SUNY and CUNY schools, but not college-related expenses like room and board, making financial aid still necessary for many. Ronald John Claude Jr., a Haitian immigrant, spoke about the difficulty he faced in securing financial aid while he was attending community college in Queens. I experienced firsthand the struggles that many students face. I had to balance my studies with, with a job and security, and it was challenging to find time and meet with advisors. Although I was eligible for financial aid, I had to appeal three times to receive it. This experience made me realize that we need a new deal for CUNY. Sonia Concepcion, a SUNY Cortland student and member of the New York Public Interest Research Group, wants investments in public higher ed to improve student services. This issue is really important to me. Um, my first semester, I almost failed out because I didn't have the mental health services for, provided for me at SUNY Cortland. There's only two mental health counselors for all 6,000 of us. 
The $4.7 billion New Deal for Higher Education has bipartisan support. Queens Senator Toby Ann Stavisky is chair of the State Senate Committee on Higher Education. The Democrat touted the legacy of the former New York governor and President Franklin Roosevelt's Depression-era economic policy. And I'm here today to support the New Deal. Ninety years ago, Franklin Roosevelt took office and put people back to work, put money on the table to buy food. That is what we have to remember because the students are overburdened. The full-time faculty is going down. Long Island Assemblymember Doug Smith, the ranking Republican on the Assembly's Education Committee, joined the rally. Smith spoke about the university system's reliance on adjunct instructors, positions that don't pay as much as full-time professors. We have full-time problems in society that require full-time faculty. Why on earth do we have talented teachers that have to cobble together a schedule at five different campuses just to get by. And they Democratic Queen Senator John Liu hinted at the New Deal for higher education being included in the mix during budget negotiations, with the legislature's budget proposals almost ready. We're going to keep up the fight, and I think because of all of you being out here, we're going to see some pretty good news in our one house next week. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Lucas Willard. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Joining us on the Legislative Gazette this week is Fred Cole, Dr. Fred Cole, the president of UUP, United University Professions. Welcome back to the Legislative Gazette. Thanks very much, Dave. It's great to be on. It's great to talk to you. Now, one disclaimer that I am a adjunct faculty member at SUNY Albany, and I am a part of UUP, as well as UUP being an underwriter on WAMC. But beyond that disclosure, Fred, why don't you remind our listeners exactly what United University Professions is? First and foremost, we are the largest higher ed union in the country. We represent 37,000 professional staff, academics, you know, professors like yourself, as well as surgeons and nurse practitioners, technicians at the SUNY teaching hospitals, farm managers at our tech campuses. We cover the gamut. We're what is known as a wall-to-wall union, which is unusual in higher ed. And also, yes, we are big and we represent such a diversity of professions, which also means when we come to the table, whether for negotiations or on the budget, we raise a number of different, very complex issues because of the complexities of the work that we do. And that's why we work so seriously and, and so hard on making sure that the budget that we get every year from the governor and the legislature meets the needs of the diversity in the SUNY state operated campuses where we work. Right. And obviously, you're an advocate for SUNY, and the governor has to worry about more than just higher education. But let's talk about that budget. The governor recently came out with a $227 billion proposal. The coming week, we'll see the Senate and the Assembly with their budget proposals, then the negotiation starts. But from UUP's perspective, Fred, what's in the budget for SUNY that's good for your members? What's not good or what's not there that you want to see in the proposal? 
first of all, I want to say that uh, now it's been two consecutive years where Governor Hochul has turned the page from the Cuomo years uh, by proposing increases in the SUNY budget. Uh, that was something that uh, Cuomo simply did not do. And in fact, he tried to cut the budget every year for SUNY and, and caused real harm to the system that we're going to have to dig out from. Uh, and the the proposal this year, much like last year, includes uh, some funding for full-time faculty. It includes some funding for the what they refer to in the administration as a transformation of SUNY to the tune of around $75 million. Uh, and, and those proposals are good to see. There are some also some proposals that target funds to the university centers. And so it's good to see a governor who understands SUNY's needs and also, as she did last year in her State of the State, talk about extensively how SUNY uh, needs to be transformed to better serve the state but really enhance SUNY, which, which we were very pleased to hear. The, the problem right now is that we have is that as good as it is to see more funding for SUNY, it isn't the funding that is desperately needed right now in two areas. One is there are 19 state-operated campuses that are facing budget crises, uh, structural deficits that must be addressed immediately. And it won't take a lot of money. It's only about $160 million to get them out of the red, get them back on their feet, and then they can grow and expand uh, because that's what happens. You increase funding for uh, public universities and colleges – enrollment will follow. You don't establish the conditions where students are attracted to the institutions and then persist to graduation. Um, and the, when you, when, then when you add to the, the equation, the second factor, which was COVID, um, and that had a devastating effect, especially on SUNY campuses that exist in more remote, remote areas of New York State, like in the far north country or in places like Fredonia or even in some of the rural areas of, of central New York. And so that's why we concentrate on the need for the funding so that we can get more full-time faculty, we can get the recruiters, we can get the support staff to help students persist. Remember this as well. We're talking about now students, I'll just call them the COVID generation, who are coming in and we're hearing from them. You know, they spent the last two years of their high school experience, you know, studying from home, uh, remote or hybrid learning. They have, a, they have a real need for mentoring, for tutoring, for support services that our campuses desperately need. Our members do the work, but they, they can't deal with the, the level of specifically the mental health challenges that students are facing coming into college. So it is vitally important that we get that funding. You mentioned the COVID generation. You made the point that students lost time. They weren't on campus. But yeah. aren't we seeing something larger here, too? I just saw a report that college enrollment is down 8% nationwide, that coming out of COVID, changing careers, making different life moves. Are we changing the model of traditional higher education? Well, you know, I'm always open to conversations about how higher ed needs to change to match the times, the needs of the population. And perhaps, yes, there is to a certain extent, without a doubt, and I know that Chancellor King has spoken about this, attracting so-called non-traditional students who are becoming more and more traditional, mid-career folks and so forth. At the same time, we know from research that we have seen and that which we have conducted, there is a whole population of students who aren't even considering going to college because they don't don't feel they have the resources, 
nor the preparation. Overwhelmingly, those come from African-American and Latino families. We're talking 50% and higher of high school graduates from those communities who simply don't even consider going to college. Those are numbers that are massive and can address what some refer to as the demographic pressures in higher ed. We need to make sure we're bringing in everyone who wants to have a college education or might think that they would benefit from a a college education. But again, it's recruitment and it's the support for those students. Well, I got to get your reaction to this then, because a bunch of student advocates, current and former public college and university students rallied at the New York State Capitol this week, seeking free CUNY and SUNY tuition. You know, there's been a call for this over the years, but, you know, if you had a magic wand, was this something that you could see making SUNY and CUNY free to students, especially those in great need? I think that that's a goal that I certainly support to make college uh, free is is something that I think would benefit those, especially from under-resourced communities. Uh, Having said that, what we need most importantly at this point are the resources to build up the institutions. You know, for, for instance, if SUNY was to eliminate tuition, well, for starters right now, those who come from under-resourced communities, you know, nearly all of their tuition is going to be covered under the TAP program. We did some great work last year, got the legislature and the governor to eliminate the so-called TAP gap. Uh, So for a lot of our students uh, who come from lower income levels, they're not going to have a problem with the tuition because it's covered by the TAP program. Where they do have challenges are the fees. In SUNY, the fees are quite high relative to CUNY. There's also, which we don't see at CUNY, you do see in SUNY, are the high cost for meal plans and especially housing. Um, Those costs need to be included in some sort of program to take care of the costs that students meet. But before we can get to that, we have to build up these institutions. Um, it's like the argument about healthcare, Dave, you know, where those who call for, you know, a state-funded single-payer program, we need to ensure that our, our hospitals, our public hospitals, like the three SUNY hospitals, get the funds they desperately need because they're the ones who provide care to those least able to pay while also training the next generation of physicians and nurses and so forth. And that, by the way, is one area where we've been disappointed in the governor because she did not propose uh, state support for those hospitals. And we're fighting hard for that because they are a linchpin in healthcare in New York State and training the next generation of those that are desperately needed in a shrinking population of those who are the professionals in healthcare right now. So, I, you know, it's a goal without a doubt when it comes to tuition. But, you know, I always point out that the cost of fees, the cost of room and board, those costs need to be addressed and overriding all of it. We need the investment in the institutions so that if students are going there, free or not free, they are the best institutions that exist in higher education in our country. He is Dr. Fred Cole, the president of UUP, United University Professions, the nation's largest higher education union. Fred, always wonderful to talk to you. Appreciate you spending some time with us on the Legislative Gazette. Thanks again, Dave. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2310. Or just listen online at wamc.org. And join us again next week at this same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustina.